Welcome back everyone, Making Waves Episode 2, our Women's World Cup Preview Series for 2023. Nathan Gould alongside Lazarus Gremos, and we have two cracking groups in store for us here, Groups E and F, and this set of groups features possibly the game of the group stage, France against Brazil. We'll talk about that a bit later on in this episode, but we'll start with Group E with the Americans, the Dutch, the Vietnamese, and the Portuguese, and on the other side, we'll be joined by Carl Bon from New York to talk us through the American team. And joining us on this Women's World Cup preview for Group E and our Making Waves special on the Backpeg podcast is writer from the Sporting News, Kyle Bond, and he's here to uh, discuss the USA women's national team. Kyle, thank you for joining us from New York. Yeah, anytime. No worries. Uh, it's uh, it's an exciting time, always, any World Cup, uh, a lot of fun, but uh, obviously the U.S. going for history in this one, so it should be uh, it should be an exciting time, tons of competition. Uh, it feels like every time we do this, the rest of the world gets a little better, right, and, and creeps closer to uh, kind of eliminating the whole concept of one or two dominant teams. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. You guys are, you know, <laughs> oh, you guys are uh, both, the Americans are by far, by far the strongest team and obviously going for history with a three-peat on the cards. And just you look at this side that's just been announced and it's just incredible, just incredible. Yeah, um, it is. There's no question about that. Uh, they still definitely have the talent to repeat again. Uh, there's a couple of, really glaring missing pieces that uh thanks to injuries that really i think calls into question whether they can make it happen or not uh and so you know i think that's definitely the context that's needed for the the roster but still uh you know it is it is a powerful and and very strong group uh and certainly rightly the favorites um but they they will have some big competition i i don't think the parity in the women's game is quite where it is in the men's game just yet, but it's it's getting there quickly. Um, and I think you you could look at this tournament and I think you could identify six teams that have a pretty good shot at winning. And that's probably a higher number than it was in the past. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And I think women's football, we've all experienced the growth that it has had over the last half a decade, perhaps longer. And it's all the better for it. And um, we're going to ask about some of those missing players and who's coming in their place in a little bit. But I do want to ask you just generally about the expectations for this tournament compared to 2019 in France. Where does it sit? Because given some of those injuries and some players missing out, and this is a younger squad, is it the case that the perception is that the US is ready to put the run through everyone else? Yeah, I think the expectation is to win the tournament still. I don't think there's any question about that. I don't think it quite really matters how they do it. That may have mattered in the past, right, when they were one of maybe three teams that had a shot at winning the tournament or one of maybe two teams or maybe the only team that really was thought to be a, a true possibility at winning, but maybe then it mattered how they did it. I don't think so, but uh, now more than ever, it doesn't matter how they do it, right? It's just the expectation is to win the whole thing. I think I think fans will understand that if they reach the semis uh, and then don't go on to win the tournament, that there is a randomness to sports, right? And and surely things will be dissected and and concepts will be understood. Okay, why didn't weren't they able to get over the hump for number three? But whenever you have a team that's gunning for something that would essentially be a dynasty, um, 
there is an understanding that there there is a significant amount of randomness to the sport. And as long as they aren't pummeled in the semis or in the final, um, that that's a, a pretty good understanding. All right. You know, they they showed out as the number one ranked team in the world and then something weird happened. Right. So there there's an understanding. But I did the, the expectations definitely to win the tournament. America's opponents in the group are the Netherlands, Vietnam and Portugal. Where do you see America's biggest threat within the uh, context of this group right now? Yeah, the biggest threat is definitely the Dutch. Uh, They Mm. are very, very good. And uh, they've got a couple of just really legendary players uh, that play on that team. Very, very experienced. Mm. Uh, Some good young talent, too. But the key for the Dutch has and always will be until she retires, Lieke Martens. And she's really had some some rough injuries in the past that have stunted what could have been a legendary career uh, for club and country. But she's healthy, theoretically, now. And uh, if she can recapture her old self for this tournament, I think they uh, can can go deep. I don't think they have the depth to win it, um, but they certainly could reach the quarters, maybe the semis, mm. uh, if Lige Martins has a good tournament. So that's a very strong group opponent, no question about it. Uh, Portugal just isn't really there to compete. Yeah. Uh, and I think they'll probably push the Dutch and the Americans relatively, but I don't, I don't think they have the, the talent to get out of the group. Um, and then Vietnam is, uh, you know, just doesn't yeah, really exactly. step up to the competition. Um, so it's, it's nice for the U S actually to get that opening game out of the way against a, an opponent that really isn't expected to provide a ton of resistance and sort of ease your way into the competition. Mm. You mentioned that they have a, a younger squad. It is interesting. They don't, technically have a younger squad if you look at the average age but it's a really weird mix of a ton of aging veterans and a ton of really young players uh so it's on both ends of the spectrum and to get those young players acclimated to the world cup environment in a game that you really wouldn't think they'll provide a lot of resistance uh that's probably the best way to go about it yeah and we can talk about some of those players now and you mentioned there's a lot of young players in there i I counted 14 players making their World Cup debut, and it's not just players that you would expect to be rotational, ones that will come in 70 minutes and play out the rest of the game. We're looking at a few starters here, the likes of Sophia Smith or Alana Cook or Naomi Goma. Is there a lot of pressure? Is there too much pressure on the shoulders of some of these players coming through? Is it the case that they're not going to be able to live up to the teams of 15 and 19? I would say no, only because... Uh, this, there's always lots of pressure and focus on the U S women just by the nature of how well-known and, uh, global they are. So I would not say that, you know, the world cup provides such an increase in a pressure environment that they're used to. You're talking players that have a, a number of those players that you mentioned are, are ones that have been starters for a decent amount of time now. Mm. So, um, and that that is credit to Vlatko Andonovsky to have really acclimated these players to a, a critical role within the team well before the World Cup begins. And that is really valuable. I mean, Sophia Smith has been a main player for the U.S. women since you know, two, three years ago, and yet she's only 22. Mm. Um, and and the center back pairing of, of Gurma and Cook, they have a lot of pressure to stay healthy, if anything, because the center back depth isn't thin. It's not a on this team, thanks to an injury to Becky Sauerbrunn. And Vlako Andonovsky decided not to 
really replace her at all. Uh, there's two center backs on this team and they're starting. So that's maybe the biggest roster decision. And we could talk about that a little bit more. But um, I think what what Vandenovsky gets a lot of credit for is that he has really brought these players along in a significant way. well before the world cup so they are used to the pressure of the u.s women's national team uh and but along with that there are a couple players thanks to other injuries i'm looking at trinity rodman mostly um but then Alyssa thompson as well who will probably play a decent role that haven't yet been acclimated truly into a long-term starting role and that's not really vladko's fault that's just by the nature of they weren't supposed to have this role this early uh and then injuries <laughs> happen so we'll see I, I think trinity rodman is maybe the biggest question mark for this team she's an excellent player but she hasn't really been brought through into the national team fold on a consistent basis on the same level that cook germa smith have one thing that you've touched on there is with regards to the ability of Andonovsky, and it seems to have been uh, prevalent from the start of his uh, taking the reins of the US Women's National Team, is the uh, introduction of talent. And you're looking at the at the experience that these younger players have got in this squad. How much further, you know, how much more depth is there behind this these youngsters that are coming through? That they can actually, you know, that the Americans can actually bring into their system post this World Cup because it's just an incredible blend of, you know, of experience and youth in this side, and it just looks like there's more that's ready to, in the waiting in the wings to come through. There certainly is, um, and you can just point to the fact that Vladko had no no problems calling up a player who'd literally never been called up before in Savannah Demello, mm. uh, right now, and she called in is Sam Coffey. She's only twenty four. Jalen Howell, a former number one overall pick in the NWSL draft, uh, is only twenty three. So the midfield is loaded uh, with young talent that didn't quite get the call. There are a couple of questions though in the depth of this team moving forward you know into the next couple of years and the main position is striker when alex morgan calls it quits there is no true number nine behind her uh and that is laid bare by the fact that ashley hatch had been getting basically the call every international break as the backup number nine and vlatko for this tournament said you know what she hasn't really done great in that spot Uh, So we're just not going to call in a true backup number nine. And he said rightly in his press conference, he said, look, a lot of our wingers have experience at the club level playing the number nine, but there's no true number nine in this U.S. women's system right now behind Alex Morgan. So when she retires or if she were to get injured at this tournament, there's no true backup for her. I would think Sophia Smith would slide over into that number nine role. She's played it a decent amount, but there could be questions if she doesn't perform. So there are there are uh, definitely concerns at that spot moving forward. And then, like we mentioned, the center back, but I think that's more of a, a tournament-specific lack of depth than anything else. Tierna Davidson is a really good talent there at center back. She's also uh, really harshly left off the roster just by the fact that Andonovsky said we're going to go with two center backs and that's it uh, he said specifically he was like our backup option is Julie Ertz sliding back to center back which is less than ideal um, but there is still some depth at that position overall uh, striker though not so not so much well you mentioned Julie Ertz is she fit because she's been a long time away from the national team yes she's played a couple of games here and there but nothing that would really have that box ticked in terms of ready to go for this tournament yes she might be center back depth but Really, if 
one of the two starters go down, is she ready to go? Is she ready to be relied upon? So the answer to that question, is she fit, is yes and. Um, yes, she is fit. Uh, she probably will be the starter at the number six position. Um, and they will manage her minutes, unquestionably. I highly doubt you'll see her start against Vietnam. Uh, I think you'll see her, uh, you'll see them pick their spots with Julie. She may come off if they're winning by a couple of goals in any game. You'll see her uh, maybe not start the odd game if they get a, a, a kind draw in the round of 16. You you will definitely see them manage it. And that's another reason why it's just very less than ideal if she has to move into center back. I do believe that um, Emily Sonnet has experience at center back as well. So if they need, they can slide her over, but also just way less than ideal. So uh, it's a big, big call by Vlaco. And I, I wonder really why when you break down the roster, you don't need another midfielder you don't need another winger i think the player personally that if i were in the coach's spot i would have probably left off for a tierna davidson would have been lynn williams they just they have so many wingers you don't really need another winger not a slight on lynn williams she's a mm. great player but i just don't see her playing many minutes in this tournament um so i think having a third center back would have really been valuable uh and then you know they brought Savannah DeMello because there are big questions around Rose Lavelle's fitness, which the fan side of me was very happy to and relieved to see her name to the roster because there were questions that she was not going to be fit enough to play in the tournament. And I think more than any other injury that the U.S. national team has suffered, that would have been the most debilitating. And her fitness will also be heavily managed during the tournament. She had a knee injury in March during a friendly that they called minor that just lingered for a really long time and her performance in 2019 i just remember i personally thought she should have won the golden ball over megan rapino i just think rose lavelle was so unbelievable in that tournament and she's so critical to how this team plays that probably forced vladko to take an extra midfielder in demello who is really a more rose lavelle type um but they could have probably left Lynn Williams off the roster and added a third center back. Oh, you stole my thunder there because I was just about to ask you about Rose Lavelle. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, no, it's... do not apologize at all. <laughs> that happens quite often on this podcast. I, I just, I really think she is the most critical player to this team. She's not the best player, quote unquote. Um, everybody has a different opinion of what I don't best know about means that. anyways. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, you could make an argument for yeah. sure, but I think- yeah. I think the unquestionable one, the the unarguable one, is that she is the most important player on this team. And without her, I think they now are no longer the favorites, um, which maybe is a, a bit of a slight to the rest of the roster. But I think given all the other injuries, they're still the favorites unless they lose her or she's not 100%. And then I think you start to call into question, can they repeat? I'd like to ask you about some of the players that haven't made it. You mentioned Becky Sauerbrunn a little earlier. Mallory Swanson, Katarina Macario, Casey Kruger as well. How big a miss are these players? Is it the case that, yes, they've got good depth coming through and some of these players are ready to step up and some are still finding their feet, but just the players themselves, what they have in the squad, in the dressing room, is the team cohesive enough? Is there enough of a, a positive atmosphere in the dressing room to handle the departure of those players? And is Becky Sauerbrunn coming out to New Zealand for the tournament? Not as a playing member, but just to be around the camp? 
I don't know. That's a great question. Um, I think that would be a great idea. I I believe she's probably going to a month is a long time and to fly mm. across the world. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and she has injury rehab to focus on. So I would imagine no, uh, but I think that's an interesting thought. I hadn't even thought about it. Uh, it wouldn't shock me, but I, I think she's, she made it pretty clear in her, her release, her statement when she wasn't, she now she wasn't going to make it that she's going to focus on returning for her club team. Cause I don't think she has a lot left in the tank for her career. And I think she'd like to get as much of that in as possible. Um, but, to answer your question about the cohesion in the locker room, absolutely. This team is really upbeat. Uh, the the culture is deep-rooted, uh, and there there's just such, you know, you have enough leaders on this team in players like Alex Morgan, somebody like Lindsey Horan, who was named captain, which surprised me a little bit. Uh, but she's a really vocal and, and headstrong emotional leader in the group. Crystal Dunn, really, really strong leader uh, in the the locker room, really strong presence. Uh, and she's close with a lot of the players, the younger players on the team. So yeah, they have their locker room presence to make up for it. The biggest loss unquestionably is, is Mal Swanson because of her form before the tournament. I was saying on social media before she got hurt, I think she was on track to win the Ballon d'Or um, because she was just in such good form. She had hit her prime. Um, you know, she clearly was was a talent to be reckoned with. She was performing at club and country. She was scoring in so many different ways. She was creating chances in so many different ways. I think she would have, with a big World Cup performance, vaulted herself into the the lead for the Ballon d'Or. So I think that's such a huge loss. They have the talent to make up for it, which is why I think more than anything, Rose's potential injury would have been more devastating. But Mal Swanson's loss is huge. The loss of Katarina Macario is a bummer because she can play such a unique role. She is probably the heir to the Alex Morgan throne, but that's not really her best position. She is. I don't think I've ever seen a player on the men's or women's side really like Kat Macario, to be honest with you. She's so unique. You could her the the best description of her position is a false nine. I don't think I've mm. ever seen a player actually described as a false nine before it's really kind of a tactic that managers use to get cute or to make up for you know a, a squad uh, deficit or something yeah. like that but she like legit is a, a a false nine and that's so weird she's a striker in a mid as a midfielder which mm. just makes no sense um so she's so unique and so fun in that uniqueness that it's a bummer that she's not on the roster, but I'm excited for her future. Um, so those injuries suck, but they have the talent to make up for it. But the talent that will make up for it is young and relatively untested. So it will be fun to watch them sink or swim on this big stage. Who do you see as the starting 11, not or the strongest 11 from this current roster? Yeah, and I'm glad I'm glad you put it that way because the game against Vietnam, you probably won't see the strongest no, right. eleven. You'll see it'll be close. I think Vladko likes to have that squad cohesion, um, but you'll probably see a few quirks with the players we mentioned before getting their minutes managed. The best eleven, you've got Alyssa Nair at in goal. Um, I think Casey Murphy will start that game against Vietnam only mm -hmm. because Vladko has made a very public effort to get Casey Murphy minutes in the team to the point where she started like big games for them in the past. And he's like 
Casey's not our number one. He said this multiple times that Casey's not our number one, but he believes strongly in getting the backup minutes just in case. Um, So I would be expecting to see Casey Murphy start that game. The fullback positions are a little bit of a question because Crystal Dunn, there's a big push for her to start in midfield um, because she plays that for her club team. And she's been very vocal about not enjoying playing left back, but (laughs) she's, put that to bed she says look i said i don't enjoy it i don't but i'm ready to do whatever this team needs for us to win and so if they put me a left back i will play left back happily so um i think she plays left back i think there's a vlacko's a little headstrong in that sense like there's been calls for other players to move positions and he just doesn't so um i would expect her to play left back uh and then right back there's a couple of options but i think emily fox will probably be the player who will take most of the minutes there, but you could see some rotation center back. No question. There's only two center backs on the roster. So it's <laughs> cook and Germa uh, pretty much the whole way. Uh, they're going to, I will be interested to see how Vlatko manages their minutes because you have to manage everyone's minutes to some extent in a, a tournament like this, where there's so many games in so short a time. Uh, and then the, the, the backup option is another player whose minutes you have to manage, manage. So I'm interested to see what he does there. I think you'll see Emily Sonnet probably play some at center back off the bench. Midfield will be, uh, if fit Lavelle, Haran, Ertz. Um, and then uh, you've got players waiting in the wings. DeMello is the Lavelle backup. Uh, Andy Sullivan is the Ertz backup and Ashley Sanchez is the Haran backup. And then Christy Mewis will sort of play a, uh, a versatile kind of anywhere needed role. Utility, that's the word I was looking for, utility role. And then the front three will be Smith, Morgan, and Trinity Rodman. Uh, and you'll probably see Alyssa Thompson get some time. Lacka will definitely want to get her World Cup experience as an 18-year-old. Um, that will be important moving forward. Uh, you probably won't see Megan Rapino play much. Um, she is a locker room presence, but she doesn't have much left. And I wouldn't be shocked if she retired, maybe not at the end of the World Cup, but at the end of this year. Um, she's just on her last legs. She's still a quality player. And if they need her, she could probably contribute. Um, but I don't think she's at the level that she was in 2019, even remote. Uh, Lynn Williams, you probably won't see her play much either. Um, it'll be the front three and then Alyssa Thompson, uh, to the first one off the bench. Uh, but that's your, that's your depth chart, if you will. It's a very strong team and America coming into this tournament are rightly deserving to be favorites. Even if perhaps a, a small margin of that is on reputation, how do you go about stopping this wonderful team in women's football? If you were managing against the US WMT, how would you go about stopping them? Because the way I see it, I think America will win the group quite comfortably. Looking probably Sweden in the first knockout round, Japan in the quarterfinal, if it all goes based off world rankings. When first does test, it ever go? Come on, now. it doesn't. It doesn't, of course. But that's the only thing we can go off right now. And uh, Spain potentially in the semi-final. That will be the first real proper test, I think. The first massive team, on paper anyway, that the US will come up against. How do you go about stopping this run? How do you go about stopping this run? I'm going to put you up there, Nathan. You think Sweden are going to play the US in the round of 16? Just as a placeholder. I wasn't saying that for sure. Oh, okay, but... I would have thought it'd be Italy or Argentina. Just an interesting sort of curveball in there. <laughs> but Sweden is worst considering... case scenario anyway. Well, yeah. Well, yes, it would be. Yeah, considering we've already said, hey, that we think that Sweden will take out that group. Yeah, Just... I just want to make the question a little bit furrier. <laughs> <laughs> we should mention it's about 1.30 a.m. here on a Friday morning. Can't <laughs> to say, you know, so, you know it's, uh, it, 
as we're recording. So just uh, we've already done group uh, groups G and H because working backwards because obviously we'll focus on uh, groups A and B as we get closer to the tournament. But yeah, to uh, to Nathan's point, how do you stop this American summit? <laughs> yeah, considering that. It's tough because what what I think is interesting, I would love to see them play Spain at some point because they profile so similarly. Um, You've got a a world-class striker, but that's not the the key focus of the team. The team's key focus are two exceptional midfielders. Uh, And what makes the U.S. so difficult is that if you lock down Rose Lavelle, Lindsay Horan can create from deep. She is an excellent chance creator from a deeper position. She's not as dribble focused as Rose is, but she is an unbelievable passer. Uh, she has maybe one of the best vertical balls in the world. And then if you lock down Lindsay Horan and and force her off the ball, Rose Lavelle will carve you to pieces on the dribble. So really the hardest part about stopping the U.S. is you have to stop both those players or force them both into be playing off their strengths. You have to invite Lindsay Horan to dribble at you and then force Rose Lavelle to pass. They're both still really good at those mm. things, but you have to take, you, you can't do everything, right? You can't no, defend right. against everything. So you, I think the, the focus is taking those two players off of their strengths. What then you do is you force the U.S. out wide and Sophia Smith is world-class, but if you can pin Sophia Smith to the, the touchline, then crossing isn't her game she loves to cut inside you cannot let Sophia Smith cut inside if she cuts inside then the fullbacks overlap and then your host um but if if you can do those three things it sounds so simple when you're talking about it which is why the, you know it's the, how do you stop the number one team in the world is always going to sound silly like this but if you can do those three things you have to for you you can't stop Rose Lavelle you can't stop Lindsay Oran mm-hmm. those are not things that you could do those are too broad what you need to do is force Rose Lavelle to pass. You need to pressure her hard and not let her dribble around you. You need to invite Lindsay Horan to take space on the dribble and then press her, pressure her on the dribble. And you need to pin Sophia Smith to the touchline. If you can do those three things, you are forcing the U.S. best players off of their best attributes. They're, you're still putting them in positions to play to some of their strengths, but not their biggest strengths. Um, Sophia St- Smith still has a great cross. Lindsay Oran mm. can dribble. Rose Lavelle is a good passer, but they are not their number one strengths. And if you can do all three of those things, now you put yourself in a position to play to your own strengths, right? Now you're forcing Sophia Smith to pummel crosses into the box. And if you're a team with good center backs, you can handle that. It's things like that. So there's no there's no magic formula against this team. But if you can take those three players, their best three players, off of their most significant attributes, now you put yourself in a good position to take advantage of your own strengths. So we should just pass that on to the to the uh, opposing nations, just so with a little <laughs> with a little note here. at the bottom that says "Good luck." <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> That's right. Exclamation point. So should we just go through the uh, U.S. U.S.'s uh, group game group games? I should say. Um, so we've got Vietnam first, Netherlands in on match day two, and Portugal in match day three. How do the, how does that play out? I could see the U.S. not um, not like holding back, but I could see them not putting their best foot forward right away mm-hmm. um, because teams always do that. You you never get a team that just pulverizes their group. Uh, so I could see them drawing with the Netherlands. 
um, or even potentially drawing with Portugal if things have already been wrapped up by then. Um, they'll beat Vietnam by a pretty handy margin. Yep. Um, so I think seven points and a, and a spot at the top of the group is a realistic haul for the group stage. Um, there's really nobody in that group that really terrifies you. Um, I think the Netherlands could expose some weaknesses, <clears throat> but I don't think they have enough great players to beat the U.S. or or give them problems on that high of a level. And how do you see the rest of the tournament playing out? Maybe having a look at the other side of the draw, that's where it seems like a lot of the big teams have gone. In that sense, FIFA's given you a little bit of a, a, a nice rise to the semifinal, at least. How do you see that side of the draw playing out, the rest of the tournament? Yeah, so... Um... I'm not a big proponent in trying to predict how the draw will play out because inevitably when you're wrong, even slightly, it kind of (laughs) mucks things up with, you know, who you're looking at playing. So I think it's better just to talk about who the the most the biggest challengers are right to the to the the title. I think you're looking at England and Spain are the two biggest challengers and those two teams scare me. I mean, really do. They are Mm. scary teams. Spain has a wild collection of top players. I think the problem for Spain is that outside of those top players, they don't really have a full roster. And I think that's what England boasts is a full roster. They have no weaknesses. They might not have the superstars now, especially thanks to some injuries that they've had, but they have a top to bottom, no weaknesses squad. And that is how you win a world cup. I think England is the number one challenger to this team. Germany is similar. They don't have a ton of real superstar players. I mean, you've got players that people will recognize from, you know, long service at the international level or, um, you know, players who really made a name for themselves at the Euros in their finals run. But there's nobody on that roster really that you look at and go, they're a top 10 player in the world, right? But they just have no weaknesses. And, and that's how you win a world cup on both the men's and the women's side. So those three teams, Spain, England, and Germany, and I know it's cliche. They're, they're the, they're the top teams for a reason. Yes. Uh, But uh, I think they're the biggest challengers and I could absolutely see this U S women's side either getting tired or they just don't propose the same depth. Thanks to the injuries that the England and the German teams do. Um, And then I think, Australia have a good chance at surprising. I don't, I I wonder if they really have what it takes to win it again. I don't know if they have the depth and I just keep hammering that phrase because I think depth is so darn important Mm. at this, at this tournament. Um, You you just, you see it so often on the men's side Um, this year on the men's side, Argentina just, they didn't need the depth. They just stayed like wildly healthy through the whole tournament. And, and those players bore a huge minutes load and, and managed it. Um, but when you're bringing guys like Julian Alvarez off the bench, it's just, you don't lose a single step. Things like that on both the men's and the women's side is so, so, so important. I, I wonder if Australia has that depth to whether an unforeseen circumstance or keep their levels up in a tense game Mm. in the final 15 minutes when the the starters are getting tired you know that and and the other team is bringing up off a a world-class player off the bench with fresh legs i i wonder if they can compete in that sense so uh they're the other contenders uh, as far as being against the united states are you just going to call it come straight out and say usa take the gold do the three-peat and then happy days 
<laughs> I think that's the smart play. Uh, I, I'm 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 a a betting uh, uh, expert, if you will. I hate that word, but uh, uh, I'm our our sporting news betting sure. uh, uh, specialist uh, as well. I think betting the favorite is boring, but I think that's the smart play. Um, but I do think that there is maybe more danger to betting the favorite in this tournament than there really ever has been. Uh, like I said, I think those three teams: England, Spain. Um, and, uh, Germany, sorry, uh, Germany, um, really pose a significant threat. Um, and if you're looking for value, I think going, you know, from a betting perspective, I think betting England is a great option. Um, but I, I'd say if I'm putting, if I'm staking my official pick, I would say, yeah, I think, I think the U S <laughs> comes through with with a three-peat uh, for the first time ever in World Cup history. Men's or women's, that never been done before. That's right. And we may be on the verge of seeing it here uh, in Australia New Zealand. Um, Carl, thank you very much for joining us here on The Back Peg on our Making Waves preview series for the Women's World Cup 2023. It's been a pleasure having you on, and uh, it's going to take some stopping for this uh, US team. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. I'm really excited for the tournament. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Kind of a bummer that I'm going to be up until four or five in the morning every night <laughs> trying to cover this team. But hey, such is the global nature of the sport, right? It's what we used Wait. to hear, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Thanks again, Carl. You've been absolutely incredible. Thank you very much and uh, greatly appreciate you coming on. Anytime. And Nathan, it was great to be joined by Kyle Bond to discuss the prospective chances of the U.S. women's national team. What did you make of that? Of all that chat there, Kyle's very optimistic, and who can blame him? This American team is absolutely stacked. And really, I was asking questions. I was fishing for a reason as to why America won't win this tournament. Yep. Because as we covered off in the last episode, I've got Germany lifting the trophy, mm-hmm. and I've got a couple of thoughts on the American team that Kyle was sort of dismissing a lot of my queries about this side and some of the reasons I came up with as to why they may not win it. Has he changed your mind at all? Slightly. (laughs) 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 Look, I think the final is going to be America against Germany. Mm -hmm. But yes, it's a one-off game. Anything can happen, of course. Mm. But uh, the American team may be uh, getting a little bit, um, not an underestimation, but Maybe uh, the other teams are slightly elevated in my mind compared to where the US are at the moment. They're starting to close the gap. It, it's more so that than anything else, I think. Yeah, but even still, maybe I maybe I'm assuming the gap is uh, smaller than it actually is. Mm, mm, well, look, as we discussed in our chat, I think the Americans have great depth as well. But interesting to go back to what Kyle said and actually say, "Hey, look, there's no obvious striker up there." You know, that's you know, going to be pushing for selection and, you know, they're paying, you know, playing with a false nine. So, which is fascinating really for the, you know, for the reservoir of talent that the Americans have in the women's game. That's a fascinating observation. Yeah, it is. And yeah, Alex Morgan is the number nine, but no backup and limited depth at center half. There's a couple of question marks over the squad and maybe those will get exposed later on in the tournament. Cause as we said with Kyle, I think it's a relatively easy route to a mm. semifinal. Mm. As easy as you're probably going to get at a World Cup, provided everything goes to plan for the on the US side of things. Yeah, no, maybe agreed. it's not until the semi-final or the final that we get a real test and and see where this US team really are. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. Should we go through their opponents now? Let's do it, Les. Yeah, the first Let's do it. The first backstop for the world versus the United States, as the Americans <laughs> would like to call it in their uh, advertising campaign on Fox Soccer and other outlets as well. But uh, they face the might of Vietnam. 
first up. So we'll go through Vietnam and look, their first time uh, World Cup entrance. So one of the eight debutants that you've referred to previously, Nathan. And uh, currently, you know, you're looking at their current ranking and you're thinking, okay, well, are they going to be the the whipping girls of this camp of this World Cup? And I think that they will suffer a heavy defeat to the Americans first up. Doesn't matter what kind of side the Americans put up, I don't I don't think. But they are ranked number 32 in the world. The highest ranking has been 28. And like we said earlier, first time appearance at the World Cup. And they've reached the quarterfinal stage in an Asian Cup before. Yeah, quarterfinal for the Asian Cup last year, going out to China. And China are uh, positioned a little bit better than Vietnam at the moment. But yes, they're not the lowest ranked team at this World Cup, but they might be on the end of the worst defeats at this tournament. Just because of the the nature of their opponents, yeah, it's nothing kind whatsoever. Having the US first up, Fever have not done them any favors with the draw. And look, we can go through their team. There's a 28 woman squad named for this tournament. That'll be cut down to 23, as will all the teams. With just one player based in Europe, which is the the captain, Huynh uh, New. Uh-huh. Uh, she'll lead the line at the number nine spot. I don't know how many touches of the ball she's going to get against America. But, uh, yeah, if there's any hope for them to uh, even get on the score sheet across this group phase, and she has to have a good tournament. And, yeah, there's a lot here that is worrying for mm. the Vietnamese team mm. when you consider the US, the Dutch. Yeah. There's uh, plenty of opportunity for a big scoreline. No, very much so. All the other players that you've, you've mentioned there are based in Vietnam. So we don't know the strength of the Vietnamese Women's League, but we dare say that their, their experience will be... Uh, limited as far as a World Cup tournament is concerned, given that it's their first-time entrance. But look, their preparation for the Golden State, uh, Golden Star Women Warriors, as they're known, is to uh, face New Zealand in a friendly uh, on the 10th of July and then face Spain five days later. And then a week after that, they'll be playing their first game against the United States. So I dare say the player to watch will be their goalkeeper. Yeah, I'll- there's going to be a lot of action. <laughs> No, this is true. So uh, their goalkeeper, uh, Tanthi Kim Tran, uh, will be uh, no doubt facing a lot of action, like you've said. And another player to watch is their midfielder, I, th- I think, Nguyen Thi Big Thoi. Very good. Very good. But I'll yes. try. I'll try. <laughs> they're, 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 you know, I, I do okay with pronunciations, but uh, the Vietnamese has always been a struggle for me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Vietnam. They managed to beat Thailand and Chinese Taipei or Taiwan on their way to the World Cup. But let's be honest, it's a fairy tale that they're even here in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's amazing for, for the team and for Vietnamese women's football that they've made it to a World Cup. But it's hard to see it ending any other way than uh, on the back end of some heavy scorelines. And look, it's something to take into the next World Cup cycle, perhaps. They can have a, a good run at the uh, the next Women's Asian Cup in a few years' time. Yeah, indeed. Look, they've won the Asian Games gold medal which is something against Myanmar back in May. Uh, they have a bit of a German tour from uh, what I can see doing some research on them in during June, where they played the uh, likes of Mainz and uh, Eintracht Frankfurt and were victorious there. Lost to Germany uh, 2-1. So I'm not sure about the strength of the German side at that time, but uh, and that was the uh, best part of a week ago. So you know, at, at least they uh, look to uh, have given Germany uh, a good run. Yeah, and... That's something that they can take from. They can take some positives from that result, and that it wasn't a, a big blowout. But look, uh, we're kidding ourselves if we think that Vietnam can get out of the group here. It'd be an absolute miracle if they can get a point. To be honest, uh, let's talk about the the other World Cup debutants in this group, the Portuguese. Mm-hmm. 
ranked 21st in the world. It's their, as I say, their first appearance at a Women's World Cup. And the Women's Euros last year didn't go all that well for them. They were out in the groups and they finished last in a group featuring Sweden, the Netherlands, Switzerland and themselves Portugal. Uh, again, this is a side who's looking to make history. And maybe they can ruffle a few feathers in this group more so than the Vietnamese. Uh, getting to this uh, Women's World Cup, they um, went through the Intercontinental Playoffs. They beat out Cameroon in the final, a 94th minute penalty from Carol Costa. An amazing moment for her and the team. And there's an opportunity here for them, I think, Laz, an, an outside chance. Of course it is. But there's an opportunity here for them to uh, get some points on the board and maybe sneak into second. Yeah, look, they could. It, it, it'll all depend. It'll, it'll all hinge on their result against the Netherlands, right? And how well they they fare in that game. Um, they well, that's their uh, World Cup opener, really. So you know their uh, yeah, their you know their opportunity there uh, to cause that upset is is there to be, you know right at the start. So straight into it, pressure pressure game straight away. If they wish to qualify out of the group, they're going to have to get the win there, and and they have the luxury of facing the United States last on, on match day three, which we'll we'll go through later and we'll see how it pans out. Look. Recent run of form hasn't been too bad. Like you said, though, the pressure situation against Cameroon in that uh, playoff series back in February, you know, pressure does funny things, right? So, uh, but they were able to um, to get the win uh, right at the death there and um, and uh, take part take their place in the in the World Cup. Yeah, and their recent form that a five 0 win against Haiti, who is also a tournament, a five 0 win against our Kiwi cousins. I won the win against Costa Rica and uh, I lost to Japan and draw with Wales. It it seems like this is a team who have grown significantly over the past 18 months. Yes, making it to a Women's World Cup for the first time is a big achievement, but it's more than just that. I think this team have come on uh, quite tremendously. Uh, they do have a warm-up friendly against England in uh, Milton Keynes mm-hmm. uh, coming up just before the tournament starts. But I think Portugal are a team to watch moving forward beyond this tournament. Yes, as I say, they have an outside chance of sneaking into second, but more generally, I think Portugal are a team that is on the up and up moving forward. And who do you have as your players to watch there, Nathan, for Portugal? Uh, the key player for mine is Carol Costa. Yep. The second mention mm-hmm. of uh, this little tidbit because she scored the penalty that uh, yes. has taken Portugal to this tournament. Uh, she's a centre-back by trade on penalties. Uh, not too many of those going around, but 153 caps. She's going to need to be in fine fettle against the US and the Netherlands if uh, they are going to spring a surprise. Uh, I've also got Jessica Silver on here. Mm-hmm. 28-year-old, 28 goals for Benfica mm. since moving there a year ago. Industrious, good in the press, uh, a danger on the flank. And, and fairly, uh, and certainly fairly, one, to keep, a, yeah, certainly one to keep an eye out for. Yeah, and fairly experienced, right, with 100 caps uh, or just over 100 caps under her belt, which is, uh, you know, which goes to show her consistency there. My player to watch is uh, Tatiana Pinto, the midfielder there from uh, Levante. 100 caps, again, a lot of experience there in, in the midfield. So they're going to need to control uh, midfield very well in, in their games as much as they can. And, and they do have a bit of experience in their midfield, but yeah, it's just going to be, you know, they've got two tricky games in this group. I mean, setting the Vietnam game aside, right? One that they're going to need to get a result from one of the two games in order to uh, to ensure qualification. Yeah, and I think if they finish third with three points, they'll be happy with it. Mm. Like Not getting out of the group won't be seen as a disappointment or a failure by any means. Getting a win on the board... Uh, for Portugal at their first appearance would be fantastic for them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think that's fair. Look, you've got two powerhouses in this group. It's it's fair to say. So, you know, but if they manage to upset the apple the apple cart there, well, then happy days for the seven days. It would be indeed happy Let's days. Let's talk for... about the Dutch. Yes, indeed. Let's talk about the Dutch, the last team of this group. Uh, the Orange Lionesses ranked ninth in the world, 
haven't won a Women's World Cup. They reached the final back in 2019. They lost to America on the day. Uh, one-time winner of the Women's Euros back in 2017, but they got dumped out in the quarterfinal to France last year. Quarterfinals in the Olympics in Tokyo. This is a side who you would think would be amongst the contenders, but a couple of key injuries, particularly to Mar, who's not at this tournament, mm, that immediately puts a line through the side for any hope of a deep run. I was going to ask you about that, Mar, mm. but yeah. Mm. That's There's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to keep going about the Dutch? <laughs> You're the Dutch expert here. <laughs> I feel for you. Ah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Look, I, I still think they'll get out of the group. I think it'll be a disaster if they don't. A key player is uh, Lika Martens from Paris. Uh, she will lead the line in, in Miedemar's absence. Yeah. 59 goals for the national team. And she's going to be relied on to fill the void. She's a little bit out of form, though. She's only scored, scored mm. three goals in 26 matches for PSG. Mm. But there's a pretty good supporting cast here, lads, in Jill Broad from Wolfsburg and Linus Berenstein from Juventus. Yeah, look, with 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 regard to Martins, right, I fear that her injuries have plagued her so much since the last World Cup that, you know, she's really struggled to find that kind of form that actually got her the Barcelona signing. And, you know, now obviously we've seen her at, at PSG. So hopefully she has a good tournament because the Dutch will need her to actually perform very well and 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 she's a star she's got star power to her and all she needs to do now is just be able to back that up in this pressure cooker situation of a world cup tournament right and it can go a long way to re-establishing herself on the international stage i think so you know one in three roughly give or take uh return from um caps to goals she's the most experienced player in leading the forward line so the dutch are going to heavily heavily rely on her i think uh, look, you've got some really good technical players in the Dutch side as well, right? So, you know, I think they will qualify out of the group. I don't, I think they'll knock over Portugal in their opener, which we'll get to in a minute. But, yeah, I mean, the loss of Miedemeyer is just huge, though, as far as their future prospects into the tournament once they get out of the group, I think. But the goalkeeper situation is a bit of a funny one. What's the situation there? Yeah, I was just going to mention that. Uh, Van Vinendal retired after last year's uh, tournament. So the Dutch are looking for a new uh, long-term number one. So yeah, there's three goalkeepers in the squad. Van Domselaar of FC Twente, uh, Kopp of Ajax and Vima of Feyenoord. All of them have limited experience between the posts because Van Vienendal was there for so long. And 13 caps for Van Domselaar, you would think, would tend uh, for her to be the uh, the successor long-term. Uh, but yes, it, for a 23-year-old to be handed the gloves at a major tournament, it's uh, a lot of pressure. And... I do fear there's a bit, going to be a bit of work uh, for her against the States in particular. I agree. I agree. Uh, Spitzer, is she going to be starting in the midfield? A lot of experience there with 215 caps. Should be. Should be, really. Yep. She has to play uh, alongside uh, Van der Donk, you would mm-hmm. think. Very experienced midfield. Um, Jackie Gronin's also a good player. Uh, she'll be looking to make an impact on this tournament. And the question is, is there enough goals from the midfield? Is there enough solidity against the States to get a point or a result? Even better than that, I don't think so. But... Look, I think there's enough in this team to come second in the group and maybe trouble Sweden in the round of 16. Mm. But I do fear an early exit, which would be considered an early exit going out around in the 16. first knockout. Yeah. Should Speaking we go generally about this Dutch side, yep. since the Women's World Cup in 2019 and Serena Vogelman's departure, it's been a little bit of a mess. Mark Parsons yep. led them at the Euros in 2022. They were poor, he's been sacked. Yonkers come in, and since then they've only played friendlies. Mm. It is hard to gauge where they are. Yeah, 
at the moment. And as I've been saying, no Miedemar, no party. But yeah, you're right there, Nathan. Look, with regards to the Dutch, it seems like the issue has been a managerial issue since, you know, since uh, the departure that you mentioned and and their, you know, success at England, right? So, um, yeah, it just looks like um, the, the issue is not squad depth so much because there's a lot of experience in, in this side that you can see. It's just a style of football perhaps or it's, you know, uh, managerial uh, issues rather than anything else. But, yeah, look, you're right there. Again, Venomai a big loss. Martins has to step up into the void. Do we see that's going to happen? I believe it will to a degree. But success, I think, would be how, you know, if they are able to progress past the round of 16, I think. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, that is fair for mine. Mm. If they get past Sweden, if it is Sweden in the first knockout, then I think you can mark that as a, a successful tournament generally. Um, going out to Sweden would be a little bit of a disappointment, but not entirely unexpected from me anyway. Yeah. Uh, they have one warm-up friendly against Belgium back home in Kokrada, and they come out here and start things against Portugal in Dunedin, which yeah. uh, they'll be looking to get three points because that's the uh, banana peel game. Do you find it weird that they actually haven't got a game scheduled in New Zealand? Like three weeks between drinks is a bit much, don't you think, going into this World Cup? I do agree with you. There's a few teams that are like this. We'll, come, mm. we'll talk about Panama later on in the episode, but mm. they have no warm-up friendlies at all scheduled. So yeah. some of these teams are just diving straight into the tournament, and surely you need a friendly to acclimatise to the area you're playing in. Yes, it's great to have a send-off friendly back home, but you need something local, surely. Yeah, yeah. I just find that quite interesting in, in the way, that, the different way that teams are preparing for this World Cup because you've got some other nations which are you know, having a game at least once a week in the lead-up to the World Cup. So yeah, it's quite fascinating. So should we go to yeah, game by game? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Match day one, USA against Vietnam. What number are you putting on this? Oh, jeez. I'm troubled with this. I fear it's going to be 10, but I'm going to go with 7. 7-0 for the mm. United States. I'm going to go for a 5-0. Okay. But to be honest, you could probably stick a 1 in front of that. And if you told <laughs> me that's don't. the score, then uh, I'll be yeah. not so surprised. Yeah, that's why, you know, I think yeah. there will be blowouts. In, in this group in particular. But, um, yeah, like we mentioned before, that the, overall the women's game is becoming closer and closer as far as the gaps are concerned. But, yeah, this World Cup is going to be prone to a blowout or two, and I think the Americans will, will instigate that with a heavy defeat to Vietnam in, the, in match day one. So let's go to the other match in match day one, Netherlands versus Portugal, which I think is the most interesting match of this group because it'll go a long way to determining the second position in this group so how do you think it's going to go i've got the dutchies edging it to no surprise yeah no that's fair <laughs> of enough. course i have yeah. <laughs> i've got a 2-1 win yeah I, I think the dutch will win 2-1 as well and then we'll head over to match day two Les, where we have the usa against the netherlands Oof. now this is the game so of the group right it's the highest quality game yeah 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 i'm gonna say the united states 3-1 yeah i've got that same score line mm. I have a same score line. Are you sure you're not looking at my notes through Zoom somehow? I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it was you looking at mine on the first episode. <laughs> well, no, hang on. Don't put them up there. No. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but um, yeah, no, I've got the United States uh, edging that one out 3 1, and they're playing in Wellington for that particular fixture. Then we go across to Portugal versus Vietnam. I've got the same score line 3 1. I was going to go Portugal 2 0. Okay. I thought mm. I'd be kind and let Vietnam have a goal. <laughs> uh, that's fair enough. So uh, as things stand in our groups at the end of match day two, we both have the United States on six points. Yep. And we both have 
Netherlands and Portugal on three points each. And Vietnam on Yeah, goal. the Dutch and the Portuguese on three points each. Mm. I've got the Portuguese ahead on goal difference mm. as it stands right now. Yep. But that'll get fixed up. That's right. Match day three. Yes, it will. Because we have the USA against Portugal, and I have a 2 0 win for the Americans. I have a 4 1 win for the United States. And I've got the Dutch putting three past Vietnam with no reply. I was going to say 3 1 to the Dutch okay, there. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So we've got the USA winning the group and the Dutch coming in second. Yep. No surprise there. No surprise at all. And on the other side of this, we talk about Group F and we look at France's chances in depth and look at France's opponents in that group as well, including one Brazil. Group F now, France, Brazil, Jamaica and Panama, two of the world's top 10 in the same group of the Women's World Cup. And what better way to get the rundown on this tantalizing group in prospects than uh, France TV Sport and Caviar Magazine journalist from France. It's a pleasure to be joined by Marlies Laborel. Hi, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation, guys. Absolute pleasure to have you on. And let's get straight into it. What is the general perception about this French team coming into this tournament? Because for mine, I think they're a little bit under the radar coming into this tournament. We're hearing a lot about the US, a lot about the English and the Spanish. The French team, not so much of the focus. What do you make of it all? Yeah, I agree. Um, I think there's been, we'll talk about it, I think huge changes these last months for the for the French team. So it has kind of taken the focus off the team also in France. Like there's been so many changes, we can't expect a lot from that team. So it's been building up these last few weeks with the, the new managers, with the players he has. And yeah, we'll see we'll see how it goes. Um there is there is talent. There is there are very good players in that team. Um so something great, something beautiful can happen. But I think there's not many expectations for France uh, for this tournament. You say not many expectations. What do you put that down to? What what would be the reason for the lack of expectation surrounding this French national team? I think mainly the yeah the the, the big changes. Uh, the new coach uh, Hervé Renard has only been uh, on the bench for two games, so we haven't really seen uh, how we can shape that team. Uh, what's the what's the potential? So yeah, there's not many not many answers. Uh, the the federation has. Uh, set up uh, an ambition, which is to go to the semifinals. Uh, like pretty much every tournament, every past tournaments, there's been the, the the goal to go to the semifinals. But like we, the public knows there are very good players in the French national team, but we doesn't we don't know how they are gonna play together under Hervé Renard because we don't have much experience of that happening. So. Yeah, I think that's the main reason why there's not many many expectations. It's really going to be a we'll see how it go how it goes. Well, let's talk about the managerial situation. Yeah, Karin Diakra uh, getting ousted, and a lot of the players going on strike. And uh, in comes Harvey Renard. Sort yeah. of a double edged question here: Was it right for Karin to depart the setup and uh, have the players come back into the fold since? Is Harvey Renard the right replacement? Um, I think. Um, Evernout is a good replacement. Um, when all of when the situation with Corinthians and the players going to strike happened, um, there was the risk of it being a really big mess. Uh, we we knew something was cooking uh, these past weeks, the even the months, the years uh, under Corinthians. It 
there has been a lot of uh, yeah tensions uh, in the in the squad. Uh, there was the story with Amandine Henry from being captain to being like left of the squad. Eugenie um, Le Sommer too, who became the best goal scorer for France and yeah dropped from the squad uh, like from one day to the other without any explanation. So yeah, it was kind of doomed. Uh, the the relationship between Jack and the and the French football team, uh, and then it all exploded um, in March. And yeah, it was a, a big mess, a big question mark, and how how will it go? Uh, and with the like, it was it happened in March, so roughly five mm. four months before yeah. the World Cup. Yeah, and yeah, that was the at that time it was the the big focus, like how. How how will we go to the World Cup in four or five months when this is happening now? Um, so in that regard, I think Renard is a good replacement because he really is a, a leader, a team leader. He is able to gather players behind him to put in a very good spirit that we've already seen uh, from the girls. Uh, yeah, very collective spirits. Uh, players like Amandinari already talking about being ready to die for him on the pitch. So yeah, I personally, I when we learned that uh, Hervé Renard was going to be the new coach, I thought, okay, that with everything that's been happening the past few days, maybe that's the best thing that could happen to to that team to get someone like like Hervé Renard uh, on the bench. So yeah. So Irva Renard acts as a circuit breaker to what was a, a toxic environment by the sounds of things. How long was that toxic environment yeah. in place? It, was it from, did it stem from the, for those that don't know, was it from the Euro campaign, the aftermath of the Euro campaign? What was it that actually triggered this? And then this, the really rapid decline where basically the players had decided that that, that was enough uh, at the end of the Tournoi de France. Yeah, um, I I don't really have the, the answers. I can answer for sure, like it happened sure. yep. uh, at that moment. But um, I think we can trace it back to the after the last World Cup, so right. four years ago in right. in France. Mm. Um, there were already yeah tensions, public disagreements uh, between Jack and the and the players. Also interrogations from the public uh, on how Jack was handling things uh, on the bench of the team like i remember after the the loss in the quarterfinals against the us uh, during the last world cup at home in paris um jack saying uh, like right after the game something like uh, i couldn't expect more from my players or like what do you want me to tell, to say to my players they've done the best they could and we lost against the best team in the world and yeah okay maybe that's true but that's i felt at the at that moment that that was not what the public and what the fans wanted to hear after losing uh, in quarterfinals in your home, home World Cup. Um, yeah, and then uh, the, the situation with uh, Amandine Henry came uh, in 2021. So we have the 2020 year, which has been not normal because of COVID. So not mm. many meetings, not many games. So yeah, like with a lot of things not nothing to say uh from 2021 and then yeah 20 from 2020 2020 sorry then 2021 uh the situation with Amandine Henry with Eugenie Le Sommer and yeah it was just a 
decision after decision that was not understood by the by the public, even by the players. Um, also, the way uh, Jack was uh, communicated, um, yeah, not not uh, not a lot of understanding. Um, and yeah, after the and yeah, there was the Euro last summer, and which was a pretty good Euros for the for the French uh, first uh, semi-final in the Euro, uh, losing against Germany, a very uh, good uh, German team, a very pragmatic German team. So overall, it was a pretty good Euro, even if you always say like we had the talent, the talent to do to do more. Um, so yeah, you can trace like many moments in the past past years uh, leading to to that situation. Um, and I think there's also the the subject of um, uh, in a larger way the development and the conditions around women's football today in France. Um, there were a lot of promises with the last World Cup, like four years ago in France, uh, saying that it would be an important moment and it would trigger a lot of changes uh, to develop women's football, to change the conditions uh, in which uh, professional players play uh, every day. And that has not really happened. And that also was uh, something the player who went on strike talked about. Uh, they, yeah, they wanted uh, change uh, and assurance that there would be change. And yeah, they also felt that the current manager, the current staff were not pushing enough for that change. Um, so yeah, many, many different points to talk about. There certainly is. And coming off the back of that situation a few months ago, is there a lot of pressure now on the playing group that the results of this tournament, if they do go a little bit on the on the wrong side, that the fingers will be pointed at the playing group for moving the manager on and bringing in Harvey Renard in, in, in place? Is it the case that what if we go through all that for if the results are going to be bad anyway? Yeah, I, I don't know if there's pressure, but there will be talks like that if France uh, does a poor tournament, exits uh, at the group stage or yeah, exits very early, there will be talks. And yeah, maybe there will be some fingers pointing to the to the players who went on strike. For example, Wendy Rana, who's the captain and who's one of the biggest figures, like, yeah, biggest figures of that team. Um but um, I don't think it will be the main point of discussion because from what we've seen, uh, it's, it's all coming well with Renard and the team and we feel like something is building. So maybe it won't be building early enough to do something good for the World Cup and maybe it will go bad. But there's the yeah a feeling that it can go better and better uh, after the after the tournament after that World Cup uh, if it's not uh, during the World Cup. Um, there's also the focus of the Olympic Games next summer in France in Paris and something that Verona has been talking uh, about a lot too. So yeah, I don't think it's going to be the main uh, point of discussion after the after the World Cup. But there are going to be talks about it for sure. Because, yeah, the, the players who went on strike, who went very, very public about the issues with Corinne Diacre, um, yeah, they put those issues to the eye of the, like, the general public in a very broad sense. Uh, maybe people who didn't follow women's football, who didn't know about all of these tensions, uh, and now they know, and now they know that these actions have uh, brought a new manager, and, yeah, they are expecting 
I said there's no there's no expectations, but there are still expectations, and you always uh, expect results when players bring big changes like that. So, Melis, would you say that it's, would you think it's fair rather to say that the focus for, in particular, the French Football Federation is to have a, a really strong showing in the Olympics mm. as a way of you know writing the ways of, of the 2019 campaign and that Herve Renard is going to have pretty much a free reign through this World Cup and then let's let's see what happens after how far France goes and and really focus you know is doing all this now to focus on the, the Paris Olympic Games I'm not sure we can say that the focus is more on the Olympic game Olympic Games than the World Cup um yeah it's just of it, it's just a matter of sharing, distributing the, the pressure if you have to. Right. Um, but uh, no, I still think uh, for the for the federation, the World Cup is very important. What France is gonna show at the World Cup is uh, very important. Um, and yes, France still is, in my opinion, one of the strongest team. You said it, a top ten mm. uh, team. So. There's the possibility to do something. Um, yeah, I think it's yeah, it's really a matter of not putting too much pressure um, on that on that team and saying that there are other things to look forward to after the after the World Cup. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think it means that we put the World Cup to the to the side and yep. do what you can, and we'll see after. It's mm. yeah, still still important and still a main focus. And changing tact a little bit and talking specifically about this tournament and the players that have been chosen for the squad, yeah. there's a couple of notable absentees, the likes of Mary Antoinette Cototo and Delphine Cascarino. The impact of them not being in this team, is that going to be a massive factor on how France performs? Um, I think the well, out of these two, the biggest absence is the one of Delphine Cascarino because Cototo has been injured for a year now. Uh, she missed... Uh, the Euro. She got injured in the second game of the mm. of the group phase of the Euro, and it was she. She was hoping to return for the World Cup. I think we all were hoping for her to return for the World Cup. Um, but France has been playing without her and has been winning without her. She's obviously she's a, a very very good player, an amazing player, and she's going to be, in my opinion, one of the biggest player in the the decade, the 15 years to, to come. Um, but yeah, she's, uh, she's been absent for, or for a long time. So it, it could have been expected that she would not be here. And Cascarino, she got injured in the last days of the, of the league season. Um, she was very strong during the two uh, friendly games. France played in April, the first uh, games for Averonard on the bench. She scored a brace against Colombia. Um, she, yeah, she's a very, very big player in, in that team. She has been a very, very big player for the French team uh, in the last four or five years. Um, so yeah, she, yeah, she's going to be a, a big, big loss for the for the team. Um, there is talent. There is uh, good players, good forwards. Um, uh, player, even players like Selma Basha, who's a, a defender, but she can also play uh, in front. So yeah, it's going to be one of the 
uh, one of the things Rona will have to do uh, compensate Cascarino uh, absence and build a, build a team that's able to play uh, as good as when she's here, but without her. Uh, but yeah, it was a big, big blow. Uh, like a few days before the the before Rona announced the squad, uh, it was a big blow to to lose Cascarino. So, which two or three players are critical to France's chances going deep into this tournament? Would you say? Um, well, I would say um, Kadida Tudiani in front. Uh, she's going to be the the leader in front um, without um, Cascarino, without Katoto. Uh, obviously, Wendy Renard. Uh, mm-hmm. She's yeah, she's the, the the brain and the heart of this team, and she's been. Um, carrying the French team for years now. Mm. And yeah, when when she's at the top of her game, uh, and she very often is, uh, France can be uh, unbeatable. Um, and I'd say uh, Grasse Guilloro, uh mm-hmm. in the midfield. Uh, she's been very strong uh, during the Euros. Um, she also can play uh, at the back uh, with Paris Saint-Germain. She spent a big part of the season playing uh, at the back because uh, Paris had a lot of uh, injuries uh, among its defenders. And she she also is a, an offensive threat. So yeah, if I had to pick three players, I would pick these three. Um, and also a few... I, we cannot say that they are going to be important and critical for France, but a few young players, uh, very talented, who wants to to show uh, big things, good things. Um, like I talk about Selma Basha, she's a good example, mm-hmm. I think, of uh, players for the future. Who she's going, she's going to play her first World Cup, and it's important milestone uh, in a career. So yeah, like we'll have to look out for Selma Basha too. And, and she's only twenty two, so you know she's got yeah. heaps of years in front of her. She's yeah, yeah, it looks like a great talent. Yeah, and she like she's only twenty two, but she's already uh, lived, experienced uh, massive things with uh, her club, Olympique Lyonnais. Mm. Um, so yeah, very very interesting player. Just looking at this group, Marlies, is it as simple as it seems on paper, where it's a straight shootout between the French and the Brazilians for first or second? Do you see much of a a threat from Jamaica and Panama causing a bit of a stir amongst the favourites? Um, we always have to be careful uh i'm not gonna say yet yes it's gonna be easy because it may bite me (laughs) in a few (laughs) weeks um but yeah i think um yeah brazil is the biggest threat for france in this group um and it's gonna be it should be a fight between the two for the first and and second place um a very good uh Brazilian team um, that France met in uh, the round of 16 during the last World Cup and it went to extra time so yeah very very good team um, so I would say similar level between France and and Brazil so yeah it's yeah it's going to be the game to to watch the second game of the group uh, between the two um, but J- Jamaica and Panama both have interesting things to to show they qualified for the world cup so they obviously deserve to be here and they're gonna do everything they can to fight for their for their chances um in jamaica a few players um know uh, france have played in france or will play in in france uh so yeah they're gonna they will the play French players will need to be careful about these players like the the swabby sisters um and Panama, uh, I watched a few of their friendlies. 
Um, and yeah, they can produce very good game. Um, during their draw against Colombia, it was not the best team uh, of Colombia, but they've shown really interesting tactics. So yeah, on the paper, France is superior and should beat those two teams. Uh, and with the the ambition I think this group has, uh, they have to. Um, but yeah, we always, we always need to be careful and it should be three interesting games. That France-Brazil game is probably going to be the game of the group phase, I think. Yeah, yeah. with the USA-Netherlands. I, I agree. I highlighted these two. Mm. And the stadium that that is going to be played in in Brisbane is yeah. absolutely beautiful. So it'll be really, it'll present really well to the world. That, yeah. uh, that that game so it's the atmosphere that will be generated and i expect they'll have a big crowd for that given the ticket yeah, sales so. here it should yeah it, that should really really be the uh the highlight game of the of the group phase i think yeah that's good that's what that's what we need for for women's football for this world cup we need big games during crowds uh that are interested and that have uh yeah that take an emotional part in this game that are here to support to push uh yeah it should be it should be good I, I I'm gonna be there. I can't wait to be there oh, to brilliant. see the stadiums, to see the crowds, to see the games. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be big. Brilliant, and it's good to see that France are playing against the two nations that open up the World Cup tournament here in Australia for us. Uh, in in the lead up to the tournament, so they play the Republic of Ireland um, on the sixth of July. Um, our time in yeah. obviously Australia in Melbourne. Yeah, exactly. That's so, true. So there'll be a you know very um, very good competition to to play against. Uh, prior to the tournament yeah yeah it's a good two games i think for france to get ready um yeah to go to ireland um interesting thing uh, also uh, ireland um they're gonna play their their first world cup yeah. and they are really getting prepared uh, in a very strong way um so yeah it's, it's gonna be a good uh a good game, a good last last game for them in Europe uh, to to prepare, and then yeah, Australia. Um, they are gonna arrive, uh, I think, around like the eighth or of July in Australia. So taking the time to to settle, um, to get used to the yeah to the to the country, to the environment around you, um, and yeah, I think it's very good for them to play. Uh, Australia, I saw that there's going to be more than um, 40,000 people in the stands. So it's going to be for them a real first date uh, of the World Cup, uh, less than 10 days uh, before the World Cup. Um, and yeah, Australia, very strong team too. Um, so yeah, good good level for them to, to finish getting ready before playing the first game. Very interesting indeed. And talking about this group with Brazil, there's yeah. a big carrot to win this group, to take something out of that match day two fixture in Brisbane and dodge Germany in the first knockout round. Is that yeah. something that is on the, the forefront of the mind? Is it the case that finishing second, it's not really what we're looking for? Do you see France getting the better of Germany if it is to go that way in the first knockout round? Um, I really don't know. I think uh, we don't want to ask ourselves that question. <laughs> <laughs> we want to, to finish in a spot where... Uh, we're sure France won't have to to battle against Germany. Uh, yeah, like if uh, on the paper, if everything goes the way it should go, uh, France has to finish first to uh, avoid Germany, uh, if Germany also finishes first. But there can be a lot of surprises. We saw it like a few months ago with the Men's World Cup. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, there's no 
like yeah no mathematics to do just uh, try to go for the for the best spot try to go for that number one uh, spot uh, in front of of brazil and yeah that should ensure uh, an easier uh, round of of 16 and to to avoid germany um because yeah france does not really like playing against germany in big tournaments so yeah to get them as early as the as the round of 16 uh, yeah, would be very very difficult. And the other one, the other team uh, could be um, Colombia in the in the group, uh, which France has beaten uh, in mm-hmm. April. So good uh, psychological advantage. No, indeed. So Melis, now we're going to put the pressure on you. Yeah. Okay. But now it's time to make your predictions. All so right. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with France versus Jamaica first. How do you see that one playing out? Um. Uh, victory for France. Um, maybe you want the score? Yeah, sure. Why not? 2-0 or 3-1. Okay. Panama versus France. We'll leave the, the big one to the end. Panama versus France. <laughs> um, Which is match day three. Yeah, match day three. Mm. Um, 2-0 or 3-0. Let's go. Okay. So France versus Brazil in Brisbane on the 29th of July. I hope France is going to win. If they do, it's going to be by a small margin. Yep. So 1-0 or 2-1. But okay. I I would say 1-0, but it means not conceding a goal and maybe we will. And yep. Yeah, I don't know. Sure. Yeah, 1-0 or 2-1. Yeah. Okay. All right. So <laughs> maybe it'll re- be a draw and maybe it'll be yeah, a draw. Maybe maybe it's, a, it's a goal difference battle. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Maybe. So let's say with that reckoning that France finishes first in the group yeah. and they go on to face Col- more than likely Colombia in in the yeah. round of 16 how far does france go um i don't i've been asking myself that question this past, <laughs> past few days and i've had the debates with my colleague at colleagues at work um i'm hesitating one one morning one morning i wake up and i'm like okay if france goes uh, past colombia in the round of 16 which is possible um it could be canada in the quarterfinals i mm-hmm. think um and yeah one morning i wake up and i'm like okay france can beat and will beat Canada and it will go to the semis and the morning after I'm like ah, it's going to be difficult against against Canada so I'm not I'm not so sure but yeah my predictions lie between quarterfinal and semifinal depends on the mood when I wake up <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough and who do you see as the main threats to take the whole thing out is it as simple as the Americans and the English? Um, you have to say the Americans because it's it's the Americans. Even if I think they arrive with uh, less assurance um, than what could have been in the in the past World Cup, um, they've been challenged. They've been beaten by several European teams uh, in friendlies this last year's. So yeah, you have to say the USA because it's still uh, a model and a, and a reference for women's football. Um, in, I, if without the big injuries for England, I think I would have said England before the US, but uh, the injuries happened. Uh, England still looks pretty strong to me. And I've been quite amazed uh, at how they won the Euros last year, how, they, how, how they've been able to build a very good team, a very consistent team. Um, I highly rate their manager, Sarina Wigman. Uh, very, very good manager and very interesting 
character. Um, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to look out for for England. Uh, yeah, very very strong team. Uh, yeah, just the like we said with the injuries, just the little question mark on how they're gonna be able to to play without these injuries. Because um, they've been like they've been playing without Beth Mead for uh, their last few games. But uh, Williamson, it's pretty recent. Uh, mm. She was there for the for the last games in April, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, still looking strong to me. But their first game will be interesting to see how they like their friendly games. The one today, I think, against uh, Portugal, mm. and they their group group games will be interesting to to watch. Um, and Germany also. We have to put Germany there because they are always there. Usually they are always there after beating France uh, <laughs> or another. So yeah, um, even if like the US, I've seen them uh, go into the World Cup looking stronger and more assured. But they're yeah, they're always there. They are very efficient, very pragmatic, uh, and you feel like on a good day they can beat almost anyone. So. Mm. Yeah, look out for for Germany too. That's Nathan's uh, pick actually to win the yeah. tournament. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, I've got Germany springing a little bit of a surprise. Yeah, yeah, it could be, could be, and uh, I also we are not talking much about Sweden, but I'm gonna mm. watch carefully Sweden because it's a strong team, strong group, uh, also used to to go quite far. So yeah, that's my. Little personal prediction that I say to everyone when everyone asks me uh, about the tournament. So, yeah, watch Sweden. Thank you very much, Marlies, for joining us here on Making Waves, our Group F preview, France and Brazil, Jamaica and Panama. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we look forward to uh, seeing how the French team can go about their business this July and August. Thank you for the invitation again. It was a pleasure. Great to be joined by Marlies Lavarelle from France TV Sport and Caviar Magazine talking all things on the French women's national team. Blaz, how good was that? Absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And great to get the insight of what has really been a fascinating background story to, or fascinating backstory rather, to this Women's World Cup with the French national women's team. If this team, for want of a better term, got its shit together, they would give this thing a shake, I think. Yeah. There's, a not, there's so much talent in this team. There's so much firepower in this mm. team, particularly going forward. Uh, I found it a little bit difficult to pin down who's going to line up where because there's just yeah. so much good attacking talent. Mm. And it's a, a similar case for some of the other teams. You can't double mark everybody. No, that's right. And somebody's going to be left free to wreak some havoc in the final third. And I think the depth that they have, and they've got a great blend of experience and youth as well in this squad. So the fact that Ovo Renard's been selected as managers to act as a circuit breaker effectively, I think puts them in really good stead and they could give this thing a real shake. And I think it actually is a good hit out for the Matildas as well to play them uh, before the uh, the World Cup commences. Yeah, it, it's a big team to come up against before the tournament gets underway. Maybe if the Matildas are on the losing end, it'll pop the balloon a little bit, mm. but uh, it's a good test regardless of uh, the outcome. But Laz, let's talk about their opponents in this group, Brazil. Yes. By time. We give them some uh, some analysis and some talk as well. And what a side. Uh, eighth in the world. What a side. What a side. Funnily, uh, funnily not to have won a Women's World Cup in the past. Uh, they've made a final once before, but 2019, they were out in the first knockout round to France, and they're staring down the barrel of three uh, round of 16 exits in a row. So they're not in the best vein of form at the moment, generally, 
Brazil compared to whether they were maybe a decade or 15 years ago. But this is still a fantastic team and mm. one that if they do finish top of the group, if they are able to beat France in that match day two fixture in Brisbane, then they too can have a really good run at it. And look, you've got the legendary Marta playing, right? And we've seen Brazil, in particular in Olympic Games, actually really take you know the test to the team to their opposing teams. It's amazing that they haven't been able to win a Women's World Cup in this, you know, you know with the kind of uh, pedigree that they've had throughout the years, because they've always been very strong and they've always been there or thereabouts. But you know, always the quarterfinals, semifinals, that's where they've kind of reached their limit there, and they just can't seem to crack it for the big one. But they're not to be taken lightly. Yeah, funnily enough, for the bookmakers, they're only the ninth favourite to win this tournament. They're a, a fair ways down the list. Uh, I think that's partly due to a potential Germany matchup in the first knockout round. If they won their group, then obviously they'd shoot up the list and become more likely to take the whole thing out. But it is a really tricky game in prospect. And um, you say Marta. We have to talk about Marta, the legend of not just Brazilian women's football, but women's football in general looking yeah. to perhaps emulate Messi in Qatar. There's a little bit of that going around in this Brazil camp. Uh, she's the talisman of this side, or talisman. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, it is her final World Cup. Um, looking to a score in a record-making sixth World Cup that's never been done before in the men's or the women's side of the game. Incredible. Incredible. You know, 175 caps, 115 goals. You know, still playing in the high, at the highest level in the NWSL. Just what else can you say? What else can you say? Um, yeah, it's unfortunate that she hasn't got that uh, that big title next to her name, but nobody can dispute her contribution. Funny that a lot of the talk has been that she might be a bit of an impact player, someone to come off the bench, mm. uh, and that lends itself to being a little bit more of a, a, a leadership figure in the dressing sure. room, someone who can inspire the rest of the squad. And mm. talking about the rest of this squad, there is a good supporting cast around Marta at this tournament. Um, we can talk a little bit about our players to watch and that sort of thing sure. in a moment. But just generally, this Brazilian team, Marta, I think, for those who are new to women's football, myself included, takes a lot of the, the focus, a lot of the limelight. Yeah. Everyone who knows a thing or two about women's football knows Marta. That's right. The rest of the Brazilian camp, maybe not so much. So I think there's not much pressure at all on the rest of this uh, Brazilian side, maybe back in Brazil, but just generally, I don't think there's a lot of expectation rested on a lot of the players in this camp. And that I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it works in their favour, actually, as far as the managing the expectations are concerned. So, but I mean, you've got a, a you've got experience everywhere with this side. It's actually it's quite good to see. You see them play in in Spain, so you know the likes of Real Madrid, Levante, you know Arsenal. You know there are some Brazilian players at Corinthians, but uh, Palmeiras. But you've got f- five or six of the, the side playing in the NWSL as well, right? So. Barcelona, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on. So they've got a great, you know, breadth of talent in the squad and the right mixture, I think, of experience and youth as well, right? So, look, I suspect that they'll finish in the top two. It's just a question of where in this group. But let's go through your players to watch. So my player to watch is uh, Gaze, the superstar (laughs) forward. I agree. Uh, She lit up the Finalissima against England a few months ago now. And really, since moving to Spain two seasons ago, she's picked up a golden boot, a league title, a Champions League, a Spanish Super Cup. Incredible. She's a, a superstar in the making for women's football, and she's probably the one who will take the mantelpiece from Marta when uh, she hangs the boots up. Mm. And it looks like that this is going to be her tournament from a Brazilian point of view. If they are to make a deep run 
this team, then she's got to be the one who uh, delivers on the pitch because she is the focal point. And particularly in that game against England, pretty much every attack went through her. Yeah. And no, I agree. England are a great defensive team, but guys gave them a real, real horrible night defensively. Mm. Yeah. And and she'll be terrorizing defenses in this group. That's for sure. I like Adriana in the midfield as well. The Orlando Pride player with 43 caps, you know, 26 years of age, looks to be, looks to be a really good prospect in this tournament, I think. Yeah, very much so. And uh, Raphael in defence as well for Arsenal. 32 years old, 82 caps. Uh, as you say earlier, there's plenty of experience. Uh, interestingly, there's a couple of injury replacements in uh, Tainara and Angelina, mm-hmm. two members of this squad that if you were drawing it from scratch and everyone was fit, they'd be in it. Oh. But because there's such an emphasis on uh, match sharpness and fitness and intensity uh, from Swedish coach uh, Pia Sagata, that they're only injury replacement players. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a funny one because oh, why wouldn't you just put them in you know in in the squad proper mm. instead of just on, on you know uh, as an outlier? Who do we think is going to be their uh, critical player in the defence? I would have thought Raphael or Raffaele at uh, Arsenal. Yeah, I'd say I'd go with that. Mm, mm. And Barbara will be the goalkeeper who's been a, an absolute. You know, she's been a mainstay uh, of the Brazilian uh, national squad for some years now. Yeah, and Lorena, who's another keeper who's featured a lot, is missing the tournament Yeah, with an injury. So uh, there was a, a bit of a selection headache, perhaps, that's been alleviated. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there's a couple of veterans who have uh, been moved on in the last couple of years in uh, Formiga and uh, Christiane. Or one's retired and one's just not made the squad entirely. It, it's, a, it's a bit of a rejuvenated team, but still plenty of experience in there. And yes, it seems as though they're having a real crack at this tournament. It's not a development tournament for them. It's not one mm-hmm. that they're looking to build for the next iteration or yeah. um, another tournament in the meantime, it is the case that they are trying to win this thing. Whether or not they can, whether they can hang with the States, the Germans, the English and so on, I have a little bit of doubt over, but hey, they're going to try. Yep, no, no doubt, no doubt. Should we move on to Jamaica? Let's do it. The Reggae Girls. The Reggae Girls. The reggae Girls, indeed. This is their second World Cup and last year's third place CONCACAF nation. So... Uh, they exited the group stage at the last World Cup in France 2019. And looking at their current form, it hasn't been great. We did Australia did play Jamaica in the Cup of Nations, and, and we did see that. Um, likewise, Spain and the Czech Republic when they were, or Czechia when they were out here for the Cup of Nations. So we are a little bit familiar with Jamaica, having seen them on our shores. What did you make of that? For my Jamaica, it's the Bunny Shore show, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, she's been lighting up the WSL with Manchester City this season. Very true. One of the best players in the league. And she's already top scorer for Jamaica and captain of the side. And she's only 26 years of age. Um, I think a lot of the hopes for Jamaica in this group and this tournament do rest on her shoulders, where they can get something going against France or Brazil is a, is a big ask. But really, after last World Cup, losing all three games, conceding 12 goals, scoring just the one of them, they'll be happy with three points against Panama. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But uh, you, you're right there with regard to Bunny Shaw. It is she's the star player of of that side. Um, you know, Lauren Donaldson has picked a a, a squad there with a, you know, which has got a bit of talent from you know European based. But yeah, it's just a question of whether they can come together and and how they you know how cohesive they are. So you're right, they've got two big guns in this group that they're playing against, and it's going to be difficult for them to get out of this group. I think. Yeah, but no favors in the draw. Not at all. Not at all. And yeah, it is most of the same squad from the 2019 World Cup and the Cup of Nations as well. It's pretty much a similar sort of team. Uh, there's a couple of um, 
New players in there as well, but mostly the same side. And looking at their friendly since they've qualified for the tournament, yes, you mentioned the Cover Nations result. Outside of that, it's not that great either. Two losses to South Korea, yeah, a, a, a series against Paraguay, one with one defeat, and uh, they beat Sheffield United 2-0, the, the women's team, who are a mid-table championship side in England. Mm. Um, it's not really something that you would look at and say, this team are ready to cause a massive upset. Yes, Bunny Shaw is the danger, the danger player for everyone in this group, mm. but whether or not they can pick up a win outside of the Panama game is uh, is a big ask. Yeah, I'll highlight their keeper, Rebecca Spencer, who's uh, at Spurs as well, and Satara Murray, who's playing at Racing at Louisville in the NWSL. I think they're, um, you know, they're key to any success that uh, Jamaica might have, along with uh, Bunny Shaw. But let's just wait and see how it pans out, right? Because you never know, football's a funny thing, and couple of draws when you least expect it in a win and five points and you're in. But, yeah, I, I just don't see Jamaica progressing, to be fair. And no warm-up friendly class. Yeah, that's very interesting, isn't it? We did mention this, that nations are taking completely different approaches. Maybe they're spending more time on becoming a, a cohesive unit and training and formations and, and systems rather than, um, you know, trying to just go and have hit-outs. Maybe they've got hit-outs, you know, in, into squad hit-outs during training and, and, and doing it that way, perhaps. Yeah, and France are first in Sydney. It's not easy for them, but they'll be keeping their eyes on Master 2 against Panama, who uh, shall we talk about now, Les? Yeah, indeed, indeed. So, Las Canaleras. Canaleras. I was saying, like, <laughs> go There on, you go. go, on, Las, go on. No, no, you say it. You say it better than I do. No, Las Canaleras, <laughs> the Canal Girls. 52nd in the world, uh, on debut at the World Cup, uh, CONCACAF Women's Championship. Uh, they came third in the group stage last year, uh, so they qualified for the... Uh, Intercontinental playoffs, and That's right. they edged out Trinidad and Tobago in that competition to get to the playoffs. They beat Papua New Guinea and Paraguay in the final, a goal to a Lineth Cedeno. Amazing that they're here. It is. And it's incredible, actually. To, uh, as much as Jamaica will be looking to beat Panama, Panama will be looking to beat Jamaica. Yeah. And I, I did some digging on this, Laz. It's the first time we have two CONCACAF teams up against each other at a Women's World Cup. I, I think that would be in any World Cup. Could very well be. Yeah, but looking back on it, I was surprised to not yeah. see a USA Canada matchup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. Let's see how this plays out because their form coming into this is patchy to say the best. But you know they lost to Spain recently, seven nil, which doesn't hold them in good stead. But you know they um, they've been playing friendlies, like you said, Nathan, and 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 I think that was the last friendly against. Um, or actually, no, they've got another friendly coming up prior to the World Cup. So, you know, they've had five or six uh, friendlies that they're uh, trying to get into this pre-tournament phase, and it's yeah, a bit mixed. Yeah, it certainly is a bit mixed. Uh, picking up good wins against other Latin American sides like Ecuador and Venezuela, Chile, Dominican Republic. Uh, the one scoreline that stands out is a 7-0 win against Gibraltar, but you're right to point out that 7-0 loss to Spain. I think that's a, a real marker as to where Panama are at the moment, and look, it's a team ranked 52nd in the world via the inter- Intercontinental Playoffs that are here at their first World Cup. We're not here expecting them to be on the level of That's any right. of the big teams, of course. And it's just a, a good story for them to come to this World Cup. Agreed. Anything beyond that, it will absolutely be seen as a bonus. Um, the key player for mine is uh, Marta Cox, mm-hmm. playing at uh, Pachuca in Mexico. Mm-hmm. She set up the winner against Paraguay, their all-time leading goal scorer. And she scored a great overhead goal against uh, Papua New Guinea. In the playoffs, yes, that's I right. I've seen it, Les. Yes, I have. Yeah, I watched those. Yeah, it was a great goal. It was an absolute. It was a great goal. Um, yeah, look, I've got their um, striker Lineth Sedino, who pl- who has got eight goals from fourteen caps. So 
you know, uh, but they do have someone from Washington Spirit, Riley Tanner, who's only 23 years old, that uh, could be an up-and-coming striker as well. Yeah, a dual national, one to watch. Uh, I think I saw that her mother is Panamanian. Yeah. So she's uh, qualified uh, through that. And one of only three forwards in this squad that's been named. So yeah. it's very much going to be a, a defensive formation. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. would expect that. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And 11 players based in Panama. Yes. Yes, that's right. Uh, yeah. Very defensive and midfield heavy, to say the least. But um, should we go through the match days and see how we think this group is going to play out? Let's do it. We'll start with match day one in Sydney, France against Jamaica. Laz? I'm going to go France 3-1. I'm going to go for France 2-0. Okay. And the other game, Adelaide, it's Brazil against Panama mm. at the wonderful Heimar Stadium. Yes. This will look good on TV, I think. Uh, mm. I think Brazil, yeah. yeah. I think Brazil will win 4-0. Yeah, I got 4-0 as well, actually. There you go. Match there day two <laughs> in Perth, Panama against Jamaica. Oh, uh, jeez. The first all CONCACAF matchup in the, at a Women's World Cup. I'm sorry, Panama, but I'm going to go Jamaica. I'm going to go Jamaica 2-1. I've got 3-1 Jamaica. But let's get to the really tasty game. And I think I agree with you, Nathan. I think this is the match of the group phase. Yeah, nothing else comes close. Uh, my least mentioned the US against the Netherlands, but really I'm expecting a, a comfortable win at the end of it for the, mm. the Americans. This mm. one is two quality sides, top 10 in the world, and this is really close to call. It's too close to call. It really is too close to call. In Brisbane as well, so it's just going to be fantastic to see. I'm going to go one all. I'm going to go two one to the French. Okay, so at the end of match day two, how do we have it with our respective groups? mm, I've got France on six and Brazil on three, Jamaica on three, and Panama nil point. Mm -hmm. Whilst I have uh, Brazil and France on four, and I think French just ahead on on goal difference, perhaps. I just need to check that. But um, uh, Jamaica on three points and Panama on zero points. And we go to match day three where it's Panama versus France in Sydney. How do you see this one playing out? I've got France winning 2-0. I, I think, think yep. a draw is good enough for them to top the group at this point. They won't have their foot on the, the gas the entire way through. Round out, relatively comfortable winners 2-0, not getting out of second gear. Mm. I see a little bit differently. I think France will will put the foot the foot to the throat here because just in case there's a that there is that draw between Brazil and France, I think that uh, that they go go for it here and actually you know put Panama to the sword. And I, I'm going to say France four 0 Okay, and Jamaica against Brazil in Melbourne, the final game of this group. Now the way I've got it, I've got Brazil and Jamaica both on three points heading into this game. So I'll, there's a temptation to pick an upset and uh, put the Jamaicans through. But uh, no, I won't be going for it. I'll say Brazil 3-1. I'll say Brazil 2-1. And uh, either way, I think the way it plays out, we've got France in first and Brazil in second with our groups. Is that correct? That we do. That we do. All right. And looking at Germany against Brazil in the first knockout round. Oof. And France-Colombia in the other way. Yeah. Interesting. It's the bottom half is fascinating. The bottom half it of the is, draw is, is fascinating. It's stacked. There's so many good mm. teams in this bottom half of the draw. Partly of that is down to the group of life, which is group A. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. We're going to have to speak to our Kiwi cousins about that one. Yep. Yep. That one will be coming up on episode four of Making Waves. Correct. But, Laz, we're getting to the end of episode two here. Yeah, group indeed. Group PNF preview. Yes. 
and, uh, and thank the- you to uh, Kyle Bon and Miley Slavarel for joining us for this preview, talking about the Americans and the French. And uh, thank you very much to everyone out there tuning into it. I hope you enjoyed this preview. Thank Ooh. you, Laz, for uh, your insight and uh, everything you bring to the program. And oh. uh, speak on episode three. Likewise, likewise, Nathan. Thanks to all the listeners, uh, regular and new. Uh, keep uh, liking, sharing, subscribing, listening. Let us know your feedback. Follow us at the back peg on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, we look forward to hearing uh, your comments with regard to this previous series, the Making Wave series. And look forward to episode three, Nathan, where we will talk about groups C and D. Take care, all.